Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. All right. Thanks, Brian. Thanks to all of you for downloading. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning into the ContenderCast. And if you did not hear our last episode, I would suggest you stop this one in its place and go back and listen to it. It is part one with one of my great friends, Greg Foster. And uh, we talked a lot about culture. We talked a lot about um, building a business and the um, elements around that. So go to listen to that first and then come back to this one. If you've already checked that one out, then uh, welcome to part two. And Greg, thanks for uh, joining us again. Absolutely. Thank you. So Greg's the CEO of Experience. And, and again, you'll hear all about that on the first podcast. And... Um, we were talking about how to break up the content for the podcast, and and so we chose to focus the first one on leadership and you know building a business and whatnot, entrepreneurship, and then the second one to focus on you know maybe some challenging moments. And there's one particular moment that Greg has really had to deal with, especially the last five or six years. And so back when Greg was starting Bright Whistle, and you'll you'll hear again hear about that company on the on part one. Greg had a very challenging moment. Greg, I'll have you just kind of talk through the setup for that. And then what I'd love to hear and what I know our audience will love to hear is, you know, how did you work through that and what are the things you've learned from it? So that's our that's our roadmap for the next uh, 15, 20 minutes. Sure. And you know, so when you're an entrepreneur and you're starting a company, a thousand things can go wrong, right? There are probably like two or three that are that tend to be deal killers. Like they will destroy your ability to kind of move forward within the vein of founders especially and the chemistry between founders is a whole other study um, to be honest but in 2012 i think chad and i had we were about two years into the company so we're really at a moment where that inflection point into success we were pushing through the curve Um, a lot of work being done day in day out Nights, weekends, all that sort of thing. Sure. Typical startup, right? Typical startup. I had some weakness in my left side, thought it was a pinched nerve, went to the doctor. Oh, it's not a pinched nerve. It's brain cancer. Wow. Um, that was a big deal. Uh, <laughs> You're starting so, a company, working around the clock, trying to you know barely have resources, yeah, let alone investment. Right. And here you, you have a out and, of the and left here field. You basically are told something that, you know, frankly... Now, I don't think about the same way, but at that time, I had never had anything like that happen to me. Right. 38, 39 years old at the time, right? 39 years old. I was healthy. I exercised regularly. I ate right. I mean, all the things that you would think of as a healthy person in their 30s. And all of a sudden, hey, sorry, you've got a lemon-sized tumor in your head. So, emergency surgery, radiation, all hands on deck with the company. It was a really... It was a big moment. We were raising capital at the time. And I had to call an emergency meeting of the people who were on the term sheet just to make sure they were okay with continuing that process because it was literally going to happen while I was in surgery surgery. and in radiation. Wow. So everybody, to to their credit, everybody said, yes, we're behind this 100%. Um, I don't know. Maybe that was a statement about me. <laughs> like, I know yeah, there's some really get what machinations in that. Awesome <laughs> idea in Chad's school. Yeah. So Chad took over as CEO, did a splendid job with the help of some other buddies of mine who came in and helped where they could and gave him advice. But he did a great job over the summer of 2012 while I was 
in my surgery and then my convalescence and then later my radiation. But I had seizures that happened after that, which were pretty bad. You couldn't drive, couldn't if I remember drive correctly, for right? Months and months. Yep. And I even, this is really sad, but I, in the state of Georgia, you, you can't drive for six months after a seizure. So my first seizure was in, a, I believe, July. So I couldn't drive basically through the end of the year. And then within literally weeks of my being able to drive again, I had another seizure. <laughs> so the so clock starts like, ticking yes, again, right? Again, oh, wow. Right? Yep. So I got to know my father-in-law really well because he took <laughs> me to carpool. work every day <laughs> wow. on his way to work. Yep. Um, I really, that was a blessing though. These things happen, right? Sure. I mean, and you go. And you had family, at, you know, yeah, kids. Had, and all, I just, you know, I'm blessed with my, my wife's family's awesome. My sister has a PhD in microbiology, so she can explain all the little nuances of cancer and what I have in particular. All that being said, got back, you know, in the office, um, doing my work, you know, really throwing myself into it. It was, to my surprise, you know, my energy level was still very high, taking a ton of drugs, you know, to keep the seizures away and, and some other things, but really, you know, got through it. So, I mean, there's just, I mean, the ultimate crucible moment, you know, we talked about that on our last podcast, but, you know, what's interesting is since then, we've talked a lot about your cancer and, and people's response to it and whatnot. And it's interesting. I, I'd love to hear what you've learned or what you've seen since that time. Now it's five or six years in. I mean, you know, what what are your takeaways and what are the things you found as you've kind of dealt with it and lived through it? Yeah. And I, I think that what you just said, lived through it is important. So... I think when it first all happened, there is this emergency hair on fire moment, right? You just, you're running around, you're trying to find the right doctor. You've been told you need emergency surgery. I remember that Sunday. So I'd been diagnosed on a Thursday. Sunday, I was flying out with Christine to Houston, go to MD Anderson. We stopped by our lawyer's office to sign power of attorney, update the wills, all that sort of thing with the understanding that there was some high probability that I wouldn't come up from the surgery or that after the surgery, I wouldn't be myself. There was all kinds of big questions like that. But I can tell you, um, I, had a, I had a tremendous amount of faith and I had a lot of people around me that kept reminding me of that, including you, I might add who were there saying, hey, you know, you got this focus. And for me, I needed my entrepreneurial thing to kind of get me through that. And the fight that it takes, the tenacity that it takes, and the positive and optimism, positivity and optimism are things that are absolutely sacrosanct. You have to have those to be an entrepreneur and to be cancer. You absolutely do too. And we talked also about how people approach it and whether they approach it from a positive perspective or a negative perspective and, and also kind of the way society views cancer. And, and I know you have a unique perspective around that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that the... I've told you, Justin, that I feel like I need to write a book about this because it's and We're going to write that. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, I believe that, you know, with look, within our lifetime, there will be some cancers that are effectively cured. A lot of money going into things like breast cancer, lung cancer, all kinds of different things, especially pediatric cancers, which I think n none of us would argue money needs to go into those places. The issue that I see is that in the absence of this sort of panacea 
approach, this one like pill that you take and suddenly you don't have cancer anymore, which I think is if that ever happens, it's, it's hundreds of years away. We have to think of cancer as something that is not the end of life. We live with it. I live with my cancer, but I don't let it attack my life. It doesn't own me. I own it, right? And how I deal with that um, is really, really important to my psyche and my spirituality and my relationships with other people and how I do my job and everything else. And so I've always taken the the stance that it is a something that my doctor told me from the beginning. This is a disease like diabetes. It's a it's something that you can manage and you're going to have to manage it, so get used to it. So, you know, the the reality, right, is my doctor said if you deal with it in that regard, if you deal with it as a a type of disease that you have to manage, you'll be fine. And if you if you let it be the killer, then you're going to die. And I think that's the way medicine, for whatever reason, um, I think it's out of a sincere focus on trying to keep the patient alive. So there's just a nuclear bomb thrown right on the table of the patient when the diagnosis occurs. Okay, we got to do this, got to do this. We only have three days or you're going to die. Uh, it's like that. Sure. Yep. <laughs> that's just not the case. And I think it's unfortunate that we've taught society that if you don't go 100% to try to get this thing knocked out, then it's over. And you've got people will say things like, you know, you've got this many months to live or sure. whatever. Yep. Those are based on statistics that are really irrelevant to a single patient. Right. It just doesn't matter. So my standpoint has always been that I'm not going to let it manage me. I'm going to manage it and I'm not going to allow it to create the kind of fear that paralyzes you. Right. And I, that's, that's a, a lot of patients that I have met over the years. That fear really, it really does paralyze you because you think about all the people that depend on you and all the other things that you're involved in, your happiness, your f- the future of your life. I'm a young person with cancer. You know, nothing against 80-year-olds, but for crying out loud, you, you've lived 80 years. <laughs> right. I mean, it might be time. So right. it might be your time. But at 40, I feel like I've got a lot of... Th- I want to see my boys grow up. I want them to... I want to see their grandkids, you know, that sort of stuff. And I have every belief and hope, and I pray every day that that will be the case. Sure. So we all know people... With cancer, and um, and and some of the folks listening today may may be dealing with that or fighting that or a similar type illness. So it sounds simple. Just be positive and be you know just treat it like a, a long term you know thing that that you just over time can manage. So, but how did you get to the place where you felt confident that that's the way you could treat it? Because as you probably have seen, some people will stand on one side of the road or the other or, or get stuck in the middle. But how did you kind of move to a place where that was going to be your approach? Yeah, I do think you, at the moment of diagnosis, you really do have to make a decision. Are you going to fight or not? That's the one or the zero. And there are a lot of people that say, I don't want to fight. And that's fine. I mean, I don't judge people based on that. But if you're going to fight, then you got to put everything into it. So for me, diet, exercise, the way I treated myself, Again, having been an incredible beneficiary of of a a family that was around me and friends that were around me, I chose to fight and you've got to do it. And look, all of us, we've talked about this before, Justin. I mean, 
you you walk around a mall, you look at a person, that person has if you could see a dossier on the problems they're <laughs> right. dealing with. Of course. Can be family problems, could be an illness, can be anything, right? They're That's always right. Always, somebody's always dealing with something profound in their life. And a lot of times we only see the highlight. highlight That's right. Right. You only see That's what's right. best and everything yeah, seems yeah. to be going great. And it, we talked about Facebook. You <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. And Facebook covers up all the the horrible things that person might be dealing with. Right. That they probably are dealing with. And they just don't share and it. And they just don't share it with you. So, But it's up to us, I think, to ask questions that allow them comfort that they can share it. And I, you know, when I was diagnosed, you were one of the first people I called. You were, I mean, I, there were probably half I of those people the people I called. Call. And yes. I needed, I needed folks to talk to and to be praying for me and thinking about me. Sure. And to allow for an open dialogue. Um, and that, again, comes back to, again, how you, how you deal with a disease like this is, do you control it or does it control you? Absolutely. So, and what about, you know... I, and I think I know you've dealt with this is the whole what can I do and the, the phone calls and can I stop by and can I bring you a casserole you know like <laughs> I mean everyone wants to help Absolutely. right it seems like sure. everyone wants to do something and yeah. you've had to manage through that yeah I think uh, I made this joke before I think at some point with you but I got to a point where first of all I don't like other people's food <laughs> I like restaurant food and I like my wife's food and my mom's food and but other it. people's food doesn't I work I don't like it I don't like casseroles so finally with my Sunday school class I just got up one day and said if you bring a casserole to the to the the house I will not throw out the food clean the casserole dish and give it back to you I will throw the entire dish the whole dish its contents <laughs> and any other valuable thing that's attached to it it will go in the trash so just don't do it I don't I, I right. love you I know you love me Yep. I understand you want to do something, you know, to help me. I really do. And I and make no mistake, I appreciate that. But for crying out loud, do not bring me another casserole <laughs> because I don't want to eat it. I'm not going to eat so it. So no casseroles. No for casseroles. <laughs> um, and the other thing is people feel an obligation to reach out, right, to, to find out how you're doing. And that's fine. It's funny being on this side and dealing with other people who have cancer or are dealing with some other illness that's serious. I always end, if I send a note to them, I always end the note by saying, don't feel like you have to respond. Do not feel like you need to respond. I know you're getting the note. And all that really matters is that you're getting the note. It's not about me sending you the note. Right. It's about you getting the note. And I know you get it. I know you've gotten it. So don't feel, don't spend any energy or time in your life sending me that note well, back. Well, and then the last thing that's, I mean, I think that's amazing advice. And we all, I think everyone, not just our age, but around older, younger have again, are around people or dealing with similar situations. Yeah. So what's next for you? And, and yeah. I know one of the things you shared with me is, you know, I treat this like a project. I, I, I'm on it. I have the, I'm on the details and whatnot. I mean, and is this now part of just your routine? Yeah, you should see the notes that I take. <laughs> I have a very, very. I will be up at with my doctor this week for a couple of days. They'll do another scan. I'm on a, a current drug that it seems to be working well. My wife is on the phone. I make her. She would be there in person, but I make her stay because I want normalcy for the kids. But my sister is on the phone. We treat it as a team. We fight it as a team. 
and I rely on them for different things. I rely on my wife for emotional support, not for scientific support. <laughs> right. My sister, you'd have to know her, but I don't rely on for emotional support necessarily, but I do rely on her when I ask a question about a term I don't understand and she answers it in five seconds. So, yeah, I mean, I, I what's next for me really is anything and everything that would be next to me if I were completely normal and healthy. I love that. And I don't, I don't look, again, there are days and they're awesome days when I get up and don't think about cancer and go to bed and don't think about cancer and haven't thought about it the whole day. They're rare because I take so many pills for seizures. <laughs> that <laughs> I don't want any more seizures. Yeah. So they're rare, but when they happen, it's sure. awesome. That's great. Well, I think that's really good advice. And I really appreciate, you know, the time you've taken on the last two podcasts with us. And, you know, whether it was, you know, starting a company and growing in your career and taking new and different paths or, or fighting kind of this, this, this cancer, this, this thing that came out of left field. And, you know, here we are six years later and, you know, not only battling it, but living your life and, and making a big, powerful impact. That's pretty, pretty awesome. Well, I think you need to do a podcast on, on yourself. So maybe I can interview <laughs> you. I don't know if you've we'll really do that one down the, the road. awesomeness that is, Justin. <laughs> All right. With that, I, we I, win. I really do appreciate it, my friend. Awesome. Thanks, Greg. All right, buddy. For more information on today's topic or to access additional leadership content, tools, and resources, check out contenderbrands.com. Also, you can download other ContenderCast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store and Google Play Store. And remember, every winner started as a contender. Contender.